The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. As I mentioned before, my name is Mike. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Artisan. And it is a unique privilege for me to be able to talk to you guys for two weeks in a row. <laughs> it's, it's unique on two levels. One, as I said last week, I don't normally speak. So this is, this is a wonderful treasure for all of us. <laughs> and, and secondly, you all came back. So it must have been that bad last week. We must have had an okay time. Which is, which is really good. It's, it's flattering. Um, so, we're, we're wrapping up today our series in the parables. The, um, anybody remember what a parable is? It's a very, very kind of entry-level question. Story that teaches a lesson. Very true. Um, a common teaching tool of Jesus. Jesus... Um, was not one for, for too many platitudes, per se. He, he's, he's a story guy. At least, at least the Jesus I know and love is a story guy. Um, and so he, he likes to teach through those stories, stories that have, that have a lesson, that have some sort of moral, that teach us something about us or God or that relationship between us and God. Um, we started the first week where we were looking at old and new treasures. If you want to grab the podcast for that, I'm not going to go ahead and rehash it. Um, second week, we did the rich man and the tax collector. The third week, we did the Spider-Man parable. Um, we all know that uh, to, to uh, whom much is given, much is required. And Jesus obviously stole that from Stan Lee. Because um, when you're out of material, grab a comic book. It makes sense. Um, and then last week, we started with the, uh, the prodigal son. We looked at the, the story of the prodigal son, but not from the vantage point that we normally look at it, from, from either the character of the father or the character of the, the youngest son, though we did play a lot off the youngest son. What we wanted to do is we wanted to look at the parable in its context. The context of that parable is um, found in Luke 15, the first two or three verses. So if you have a chance, or if you want to, grab the Bible underneath your seat while I kick over my coffee and open it to page 850. We're not going to do any sword drills this week either. not going to make you, you know, who can find it the quickest? Okay, you get a little figurine. Um, We're just going to go right to 850. Um where we see that Luke has recorded the scene for us. Uh, and when we, when we approach the Bible, well, when I approach the Bible, and I would encourage you to do this too, um, the, the Bible is not an exhaustive uh, timeline of, 
the actions of the church, the actions of the Jewish people, the actions of Jesus and the disciples. It doesn't cover everything. It doesn't tell us where the cafeteria is. It doesn't tell us where to go to the bathroom. It just tells us the things that are essential for us to have faith. So I, at least for me, I trust that when I see something in Scripture, that, that it's there for a reason. Even if I don't entirely understand the reason, it has purpose. So let's consider it as part of our study. Um, the opening of Luke 15, uh, Luke records the situation that Jesus is telling the story in. And so that must have some importance to us. That context must be crucial. So let's look at it. Luke 15, chapter, uh, uh, verses 1 through kind of 3. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. It says, This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it's in this context, verse 3 says, it's, it's in this place that Jesus tells these parables. Then, it, then he tells these parables. Uh, the parables are the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And last week, we looked at parable of the prodigal son and what that said to that first group of people that, that's mentioned here, the tax collectors and sinners. So who are the tax collectors and sinners? First question I ask. Tax collectors are Jewish men, generally, who are employed by the Roman government that's occupying Israel to tax and levy taxes from, uh, from that Roman government, from Caesar, upon their own people. So functionally, most of the Jewish population is going to look at these tax collectors as people who are stealing from them to give to their captors. This is not, it's not a people group, uh, or it's not an occupation that, that's held in very high regard. Uh, unlike, as I said last week, the IRS, which we obviously hold in very high esteem today. Um, but at least the IRS is stealing from us to give to our own government. Uh, you know, the, in this case... This is functionally the IRS who's stealing from us to give to Canada. Uh, You know, we would be a little less favorable. So the tax collectors, not not a very welcome group of people. Sinners. This is a very broad sweep. It's a large brushstroke. In in, uh, the NIV, it comes in air quotes. Sinners. Sinners in a Jewish world, are people who, have not, who are not obeying the Mosaic law. These are the Ten Commandments, but also the 613-ish kosher laws. So anybody who, is, um, who would be sick or um, eating food that, uh, that was prepared along with pork or position near pork, um, people who are poor, obviously that, you know, something's not going on well with their faith or they wouldn't be poor. Um, and the most, the most deviant of these sinners are your sexual sinners. Those are the ones that, that seem to be the, the real, 
you really want to screw up, that's how you do it. And, um, and chief amongst those are your prostitutes because they're the most obvious. You know, their occupation is to break this, this law. So when, when, when we see sinners here, we can assume that people from this group are gathered around him. And we see in other places in the New Testament where Jesus uh, specifically is hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. So let's go with that. That's who's in the front row. These are the most despised, the most judged, the, uh, the, the people who are functionally tearing down the society. They're taking this good, clean Jewish society and, and just defacing it. That's who's right in front of Jesus. He's eating with them. And we looked yesterday at the story, or last week, the story of the prodigal son from their eyes. What does it say to them? What is Jesus trying to teach them about their standing with God, where God is in their life, what God is to them? Uh, There's a second group of people in this room, though. The second group of people are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's really easy when you're reading the New Testament to look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and make them the bad guys. Because often that's the one that Jesus is, they're the group of people that Jesus likes to flog. Like, he, he really, he's got an issue. Uh, he's got a really deep-seated issue with these guys. But in this context, first century, you know, they've just changed their watches from B.C. to A.D., um, yeah, no, they actually just got a new watch because you just can't wind it that way. Um, in this context, the, your, your Pharisees and your teachers of the law, these are orthodox people. These are, these are Bible-believing people. These are the people who, they take their faith seriously. They, they read their Bible every week. They go to temple every week. They, they know it inside out and backwards. They live it. They care about the law. They, they care about their, their people and their people standing with God. Thus, they care about the law and they care about making sure that everybody is obeying the law so that we stay connected with God. They are very, very holy people. Um, they're the ones who, um, who look at these sinners and say, guys, what are you doing? What you, seriously, what are you doing here? This, this whole behavior, please. Let's, let's fix this. And they're in the back of the room, and they're murmuring at this whole scene. Probably because they know that their righteousness, their, their standing with God, their, their place with God, is based entirely upon their adherence to these laws. And they can look at the laws, and they can say... We are, we are good with God because, fill in the blank, because we obey the commandments, because we, we follow the kosher laws, because we're, we're at temple every, every Sabbath, on and on. You know, we're okay with God because, and fill in the blank. Um, and they see Jesus, who is supposed to be a teacher of the law. He's one of them. He's a rabbi. He's, he's called a great teacher, if nothing more. And he is sitting with the dregs of society. And he's not chastising them. He's eating with them. In, the, in that time, 
eating with somebody is practically like creating a, creating a group. It's almost like building a clique or a, a clan or a tribe. Like, these are your people. These are the people that you identify with. They're you, you are them. Just like, I mean, how many people have gone on a first date? Okay. How many of those first dates were over dinner? Okay, a large number. There's something intimate about eating with somebody. Now put that on steroids. Like, that's the kind of thing that when you eat with somebody in the first century, this is, this is, this is significant. And so the teachers of the law are looking at Jesus, who's one of them, and saying, what are you doing? These people are tearing down our society. They are, they are, they are bad. Why are you not chastising them? It's almost like you condone it. And it's in this context that we hear these three parables. So let's, let's take a look at the second half of this parable. The par- it's often called the parable of the prodigal son. But let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at the second half, which is about the older son. We've seen in the first half, you've got a wealthy landowner. He's got a fair amount of land, a pretty decent estate, and he's got two sons, an older one and a younger one. The younger one comes to him and basically says, Dad, I want you dead. If you remember last week, he he comes in and he says, I want my inheritance, I want it now. He says, I deserve it. Where in reality, no, you don't deserve it because you're the youngest son, and the fact that you're even asking about your inheritance at all is, is an affront to me. But the father goes along with it, divides his, divides his property, sells it off, gives it to the younger son who goes off to a distant land and spends it on fast women and fast chariots and uh, lots of mead. And, uh, and he's just tearing it up. He's the man about town. He's the guy you go to for a loan. Like, he's, he's buying friends left and right. And then as, as things do, money runs out. And as things do, when the money runs out, the famine comes in. And he winds up finding any work he can in a foreign land, which winds up being uh, working a pig farm, which for a Jewish male is, is about the worst thing you can do. In this state, he goes, he goes home, begs his father for, to hire him as just a household servant. He knows he's never going to be a son again. He knows that he's completely blown that thing. So at least just hire me so I can get a meal. And his son takes, takes that whole thing, turns it on its head, which I think is what we were learning last week, is what Jesus wanted to teach these, uh, the, the, the lowlifes that are in front of him. He wanted to say, no, 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 no. You come home and your father's going to throw a party for you. He's going to, he's going to just pull out his best robe. He's going to give you the family ring. He's just going to go nuts the moment he even sees you. So it takes their worldview and flips it on its end. And then late after that, he teaches the second half. And we're going to find that he's going to take the Pharisees' worldview and he's going to turn it on its end because that's what Jesus likes to do. He likes to go in and kind of... So that's what he's going to do. Let's look at uh, verse 25. We'll start there. Um, so the son, uh, the younger son's home. We've just thrown a bit. The party is going. The band's playing. The fattened calf is on the, the rotisserie. You know, we, 
neighborhoods here, it's a block party. Um, Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Servant replies, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the younger son says to the father, he says, look, all these years I have slaved for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31 says, the father says, my son, you have always been with me. And everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, now is found. Thus ends the parable. Let's go back to verse uh, verse 25 here. Jesus starts the second half by saying, Meanwhile... You know, we're, we're continuing. Meanwhile, back the ranch, that kind of thing. Um, the older son was in the field. Of course he was in the field. That's exactly where he would be because he's the older son. He's, he's an overachiever. He's a workaholic. He desperately is trying to do everything that his father tells him he needs to do. So he's not back at the party. Of course he's not back at the party. He hasn't even heard the party yet because he's in the field day and night. Slaving away for his father, apparently. Um, And as he's coming in, he hears music. He hears dancing. Yeah. Can you hear dancing? I I guess you probably could if they're like clogging or Irish dancing. It's like river dance. They're all... (laughs) Yeah. He heard dancing. We're going to go with that. Uh, So he calls one of his servants and he asks him, What's going on over there? What's happening? And the servant says... Your brother is home. You know, and your, da- your dad has pulled out the best meat. He's thrown a huge party. We got the rotisserie primetime funks in the corner. It's just awesome. You're going to want to be there. This is great because your brother is home. Servant's very excited. I can, you can hear it in the text. You can hear Jesus telling that, you know, with kind of energy. Your brother's home. And you would think that this should make somebody excited. But not the older brother, who's been spending day and night diligently from the moment he could drag a plow, like Jaron's age. So get to work. He's, he's out there, work in the field, because that's what his father wants of him. And he knows it, and that's what he's doing, because he's the good son. And it makes him angry. The... Uh, the word used there is not like, not like angry, angry, you know, like stub your toe angry. It's like 
It's like when Mel's driving home from work and somebody cuts her off in the toll booth line. It's that kind of angry. It's spitting mad angry, really ticked off. Um, and he refuses to go in because he's been in the field. Remember, he is the good son. He's not the evil son. We've already talked about the evil son. This is the good guy. And he's spitting angry. And the father, his reaction is to go out to the son. Because as we learned last week, this, the picture that, God is, or that Jesus is trying to, to portray of God is the God that's always going out. It's the God that's already looking for us. It's not the God that's sitting back, reading The Economist, waiting for us to come home. He's out looking He's constantly trying to get us to come with him. He is actively seeking us. And Jesus says that the father goes out and he pleads with the, young, with the older son. He, he's, not, he's not forcing. He's not grabbing him by the earlobe and dragging him home. He's pleading. He's saying, come on. Come on. This is something we should be happy about. Come home. Come home. But he's completely unwilling. Because at this point, he's so spitting mad that he's been working, he's been doing the right thing. That, and and the, the younger son, who's been doing all the wrong things, is getting the reward. That he, he's not in the headspace where he's willing to hear this pleading. You know, he, the thing that he's latching on to is all the work he's been doing. He's latching on to how he has been slaving slaving for his father and never disobeying uh, his father's orders. He's got this, he's, he's just got this mentality that he can't get past. And so there's no way he's going to be happy about it, regardless of the party. It's like when I was in first grade. So I was about six years old. I was in Mrs. Warden's class at Victor. Any Victor grads? No, didn't think so. Um, and, and it was the Christmas grab bag. Uh, um, I told some people last night, I was telling the story, so, so there are some people who know this one. Um, and, and I walk in, and, and as a six-year-old boy in 19... <laughs> you, you get matchbox cars, because matchbox cars are the thing. It's what you want. And they came in the little box on the card, and, you know, yeah. So I went and got a Porsche. It was silver. It had a racing stripe. I wrapped it up. I wrapped it in paper that I would recognize. And, and then you know, we brought it in and we put it in the grab bag. Paper I would recognize. So it's all in the black garbage bag. And the girls have their presents over here and nobody cares about that. And so I'm over here. And, and I know there's a matchbox car in there. And I'm going to, yeah, because I wrapped it. <laughs> and, and everybody goes through and they pick their... They pick their present, and I see, oh, that kid picked my present. And, and it was, I didn't like this kid at all, because I was a little turd, not because he was. And um, did I knock over my coffee again? Anyway, um, so he's, I'm having ADD moments all morning. Um, so he's opening the present, and I pick out my present, and I'm opening it, and all the kids are, all the boys are freaking out, because they all got matchbox cars. They all got matchbox cars. And this guy got my matchbox car, and that's one. Oh, isn't that great? And I opened mine, and some mother, I blame the mother. Some mother thought it was a good idea 
to give a kid shoelaces. I got shoelaces with crayons on them. I got to tell you, I was pissed. I was so angry. And I'm sitting there with the shoelaces trying to figure out how I can go over to the kid who got my Matchbox car and flog him with it so I can get the Matchbox car. And I'm in the corner and I'm bawling. And the teacher keeps trying to come over and say, come on, let's, let's play with your shoelaces. She, even she knows what a retarded gift this is. And, uh, play with it. Keep it in the package. Pretend it's a car. It's not a car. You know? And, and I was just, I was incensed. And there was no way I'm going to have a good time at this Christmas party because I know what I put in the bag and I didn't, everybody else got one but me. And so I, I'm just ticked off. And that's where this, that's where this uh, older brother is. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is this is also where those Pharisees are when they're murmuring and complaining in the back of the room because he's pushing on this idea that, uh, that Greg Boyd, if you have a chance to listen to Greg Boyd, I'm going to endorse Greg Boyd. And I'll expect a check in the mail, Greg. Um, he's fantastic. Check him out. He, he, he likes this phrase, a contract worldview. And, he, and um, applied to this story, it makes a lot of sense. Contract worldview is functionally where, where you, have, you have the system of fairness and justice. And it's kind of a, it's, it's a give and take on a scale where you're the center of it. Where, like, I go to work, I work 30 hours for this rate. At the end of the week, I expect a check with that amount of money on it. You know, it's a contract. It's a, it's a give and take. And this, this is the worldview of the Pharisees. We've got, uh, of the faithful religious folk, we've got people who are adhering themselves to the law because their reward is the inheritance of the kingdom. That's the give and take. Um, and so, of course, in, the, in a situation where you've got somebody who has, who has this kind of worldview, where I'm going to obey the laws so that you will give me the kingdom, and you find out that the kingdom has been given to the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're incensed. And that's what the contract worldview does. That's where it leaves you. It leaves you bitter and incensed. Because, face it, your mom was right. Life isn't fair. Nothing in this world is fair. And frankly, as much as we want it to be, we really don't. We like it when things aren't fair. We just like it when they're not fair in our favor. Um, you know, and when you want things to be fair, you always have somebody to be pissed at. You always have somebody to be really angry at. You're angry at your folks because they didn't raise you right or they didn't give you a matchbox car instead of shoelaces. You know, you're, you're angry at your boss who works you too hard and doesn't pay you appropriately. Or, um, or you're, you're angry at... You're, you're angry at politicians. You're angry at the liberals because they're tearing down the fabric of society. Or you're angry at the Republicans because they're Nazis wanting to throw us back into the 50s. You know, or, you're, or if you've got nothing else to be angry about, you just are angry at society. Because, because if you've got nothing else to hang your hat on, you can at least hit society. Society's always bringing us down. 
When you have that contract worldview where things need to be fair, it leaves you bitter and angry. And then you add religion to that. And it makes you dangerous. Because with a contract worldview, when you're obeying the law, obviously God is on your side. Correct? You're obeying the law. You're doing what God says. So, of course, if you don't like this person, God doesn't like this person. If you don't like this policy, God doesn't like this policy. Because God's with you. That's the way the contract worldview works. This is the world that the Pharisees are living in. They blame the people that Jesus is eating with for everything that's going on in society. These are the people that they're trying to legislate against. These are the people who are destroying the family. These are the people that are, that are, that are causing their country to be occupied by numerous other countries at any given time. This is the reason why God is judging Israel. It's because of these folks. Of course it is. We have a contract worldview. But Jesus, these are his people. So if these are his people, then Jesus must be one of them. Thus God doesn't like him. Thus we don't like him. See how this is all stacking out? Into this story, this is what Jesus is... This is the context that Jesus is saying the second half to. Well, he's been saying... All these other things as well. But this one's really pointed. And he's looking at it. And he's saying. The elder brother. Is a good upstanding person. He's doing all the right things. But at the end of the day. He's even more lost. Than the younger son is. He's even more off the track. And the problem is. He looks good. And he acts good. The younger son has the benefit of being repugnant. He has the benefit of pig filth. He has the benefit of, being, of living past his ability to correct himself. He has, the, the, ability, he has the, the benefit of meeting his end. He's past himself and now is desperate. So he knows how much he stinks. He can smell how much he stinks. The older son... He, he's perfect by all measures. He's exactly the son you want, except for the fact that he relates to his father like a slave owner. He relates to his father like a boss, like a cosmic uh, a CEO that I'm going to punch my time card for you, and then you're going to give me this. And at the end of the day, that's not at all what God is looking for. God wants family. He doesn't want employees. He wants sons and daughters. He doesn't want slaves. There's another uh, Jesus-y quote in one of the Gospels that, of course, I'm pulling out right now, and I, I have no idea where it is, but where, where Jesus is talking about how um, you are no longer slaves, you are my friends. This is the, the change in relationship that he's looking at. Um, the Pharisees know that they're doing right, but at the end of the day, they're completely wrong because their righteousness is stacked in themselves. Their righteousness is stacked in their ability to follow the law. Their righteousness is, is based entirely upon their rightness. It's kind of this religious pride, which arguably is the hardest thing to cut through. 
because again, it's got God backing it. The younger son says, says, look, all these years I've slaved for you I've dis- and I've never disobeyed an order. Yet you didn't even give me a young goat so I can party with my friends. But this son of yours, again, kind of showing where his heart is. Dad's a slave owner and, and this isn't my brother. This is that son of yours. Okay. Has gone and squandered uh, half of your property. Half that he didn't deserve. They should have never gotten anyway. Now there's only half for me. And if you do what you did before, you're probably going to divide that in half. So I only get a quarter. So I've been out here in the field, busting my hump, you know, over the plow for a quarter? Contract worldview, this is extreme dissidence. Makes him very angry. Uh, you know, there are two kinds of, of sin that Jesus is looking at here. There's, there's the sin that smells bad, that looks bad, that we all know. You, you know when you do it. You, you, you know. It, it, it wears on you. It's not very good. But then there's also the sin of being so sure that you're right. And it's that sin that's even more infectious. And I think the thing that Jesus is trying to hit home even more. It's the tone that falls through all three of these parables. That your rightness has nothing to do with you. And if it does, then you're wrong. Uh, the, the parable continues. He says, the father says to the son, My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. If you want a fatted calf, I'll give you a fatted calf. You want 10? You, you want 10 with bows, whipped cream, cherry? I'll give it to you. That's fine. But we have to celebrate now because this brother of yours, again, notice the change. The, the father is making a point of saying, this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. Functionally, I think what this parable is pushing on is that, that your status with God is not based upon a comparison. It's not based upon a comparison of you to another person, you to a, to a rule of law, you to an assumption of what you should be. It is based entirely upon the God that throws his robe around you, that puts his ring on your finger, that is looking for you. That is where your relationship, your status your understanding of who you are comes from. So for the younger son, he's dirty, he's filthy, it's easy. You can see, I stink to high heaven. I need, this is good. Um, but it's very easy too. Like, like I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the Pharisees get there by comparison, Right? We, we get the Pharisees are comparing themselves to a list of laws. They're looking at these people and they're saying, hey, I'm not them. You know, I went to Sabbath. I wasn't uh, selling myself on Lyle Avenue. You know, they get there by comparison. It is also very easy for those 
who know they're dirty, to come to Jesus, receive that grace, receive that family name, and then start looking at the Pharisees and say, I'm not them. I don't hate gay people. I don't vote Republican. I eat granola. I love my, I love my, I love my country, but I love Jesus more. Um, I, I hate war, but I, but I do love the troops. Like, it's very easy for, for you to, to be once dirty, come clean, and then become just as dirty again. Because now you're comparing yourself to the Pharisees. You're, you're like an anti-Pharisee Pharisee. You know? It becomes, it becomes cool to hate people who take the Bible seriously. Evangelicals, fundamentalists, maybe the person you're sitting next to. Like, it becomes very easy to make that comparison. I think we also need to be mindful of that, especially in our group. Because it's very... It, sometimes we, we have a little bit too much fun with that. Um, the big question that he's pushing on, um, and that I would like to pose to you, is, is there anyone or any group of people that you can think of, and I'm pretty sure you can, that if they were partying with Jesus, you wouldn't want to be there. Or, if you were partying with Jesus, and they came in, you'd be angry that they were there. For me, it's really easy. For me, you may have heard me say, and kids, you may need to go like this. Um, that, there, that there are three or four people, three, four people, that I wouldn't pee on them if they were on fire. I hate them so much because of what they did to me. And that's what Je- Jesus is trying to, the whole week, like, he was just hammering me on that. That is wrong. That is very, very wrong. I'm sure that each one of us has someone or some group of people that we would not be overjoyed about. We would actually boycott that party. We would not go. Because X group of people, X person is there. Um, Just like the Pharisees, Jesus is trying to get us to tear that worldview down. Because that's, 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 again, that's us. We're not like them. We're not like that person. You know, we, we stack up. The contract worldview works for us. We're clean. We're not. We're not clean at all. If that's the way we view God, if that's the way we view other people, then there's a pretty significant thing we need to deal with. And we're going to take that thought... Sit with it for a minute before we head to the communion table. The communion table is open for anyone. We learned that last week. doesn't matter how filthy you are. doesn't matter. You don't even need to be near the party. If you've done even an about face, God is already waiting for you. He's looking. He's calling you. If you would, if you would accept that call, this table is for you. But if you're living in that contract worldview, if there, if there is that group of people, that person that 
that just makes your skin crawl. That obviously God is not for them. Not your God, at least. Then I want to use this time as confession as well. This is the time. Take a minute. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your lips, your brain, the way you act. Help him to orient you to the place where when that repugnant person in your mind who's not a brother or sister of yours shows up at the party that your reaction is joy and not anger. That it's, that it's I'm thrilled you're here. I'm not bitter you're eating my food. Ask God to change your heart before you head up here, before you eat with Jesus. Start that work now, and then approach the table. So take a few minutes, sit in that. You don't need to gang up on the table. You can come up as you please. If you decide not to come up, that is completely okay. And if there's things you want to, uh, to chat about or pray through, I'll be in the back. Um, Heidi's in the back. Anna's in the back. They're both on the leadership team. They'd be happy to hang out and chat a little bit too. But take a moment and for a little bit of self-examination, for a little bit of uh, critical analysis, and ask God to kind of do that full body scan of you. And check to make sure whether or not that contract worldview is completely alive in you, a remnant that still lingers, or whether or not you are that younger son, which you may be. Take a few minutes, think about it. Then come on up to the table when you're ready. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.